as we uh, think today on our first uh, vision, er, our, our, not our first, our fourth vision, the vision of discipleship, uh, I want us to start off just with that question that you see there. Are there any disciples out there? Are there any disciples out there? That picture is Jesus washing His disciples' feet. In 2001, a man by the name of Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. Some of you who were in business at the time or maybe in even in other circles were aware of it, heard of it, maybe you read it. Some of you may have read it. We, In an interesting thing in our mission, took that book and it was not really required reading, but for those of us in leadership in the mission, uh, our international director encouraged us to read it, got us all a copy. And some of the things that in these sorts of uh, business world books and, uh, and help uh, kind of uh, uh, guides, you can find some truths that will help you in ministry as well. And so, but some of it didn't really apply, but, uh, but some of it did. One of those concepts, one of those ideas he came up with, and maybe you've heard this, uh, term even since his book, uh, is good is the enemy of great. And uh, Jim Collins, as he says this, he goes on to say, uh, that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools principally because we have good schools. We don't have, uh, we don't have great government principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives in large part because it is e- so easy to settle for a good life. Perhaps we can extend that and say the same thing about us as a church. Are we settling for good when we should really be striving and working and putting our energy and our gifts to be great? Perhaps we settle for good. We look around and we say, well, it's good enough. Perhaps we don't even settle for good. Perhaps we settle for just average or just squeaking by instead of really trying to excel and do our very best for God. Sometimes we end up doing that. We end up settling for good or for the average. Part of it is because we get in a routine. And for me, I, for one, I love being in a routine. I like to have a a steady routine. To make a plan and then stick to it. To make sure my life is nice and orderly and things are all going to just happen in a way that I can expect them to. Um, that's just the, the kind of person that I am. I like to know what's coming. I like to know what's going to happen each day. My mentor, as I talk to him, uh, he's amazed at my, uh, my propensity for routine. And he says, how did you ever survive on the mission field for so long when you like and you thrive in some kind of routine? Uh, only by God's grace, I suppose. But I think us as a church, we kind of are like that too. We like our routines. We like to do things the same way. We get used to some kind of rhythm, some kind of routine in our, even in our church life. And, and that becomes some kind of anchor, some kind of rock for our lives, some kind of uh, steadying influence maybe. But that can work against us as well because it can stop us. It can hold us back from doing what is really great. Because we're settled in a routine 
of good or maybe of average. Instead, we, uh, instead of striving for, for, for better, to do something a bit more, to push ourselves, to strive for a bit of excellence, even in the life of the church, even if it means upsetting our routine. And so this month, as we think about discipleship, I want us to think about discipleship in that term. How are we doing? Are there any disciples really out there? And so I want us to start off by looking at our theme verse uh, for this month, which is Matthew 28.19. And Jesus says to His disciples, this is Jesus speaking to His disciples at the very end of His life and at the end of um, His time on earth, uh, just uh, as, just uh, as he's uh, before he's uh, taken up to heaven, uh, and he's leaving the disciples, uh, his disciples behind, and he gives them this charge, and he says, "Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." And this is probably a very familiar passage to you, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. But it's worth taking a look at and stopping a little bit and uh, taking this morning to have a look at it, think about it in terms of what is Jesus saying there. First of all, the first thing He says is therefore. And when that therefore is there, when you, are, when you come across that word in Scripture that says therefore, you always have to think, okay, what, did, what was just said immediately before that? Because what's he, what He is about to say is coming out it's coming from those words that were said before. And this doesn't matter whether it's Jesus or Paul or whoever. It's a basic principle. You say, therefore, you do, this, is, this is what should happen. Or this is what you should understand. And so you have to go back and look. And what does Jesus say just before Matthew 28, uh, 19? He says the, a quite astonishing thing. He says, therefore, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Imagine. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Christ. Not 90% of it. Not 75%. Not 51% where He's just a little bit more important than someone else. He says all authority, not just on earth, but in heaven and earth, through the whole universe, He has all authority. He is completely in charge, completely in control. Everything answers to Him. And then He says, go and make disciples. Because He has all authority, there is really no questioning whether we should do this or not. There is no questioning, well, maybe maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe I need to be in a different cultural context. Maybe I need to wait. He says, all authority has been given to me, and so I'm now telling you, go and do this. And so, this comes with great power and authority. We shouldn't feel the need to question this. And so, what does Jesus, using all of His power and authority that has been given to Him, all authority in heaven and on earth, He tells us to make disciples. Go and make disciples. The imperative there in that passage is that we make disciples. Now, how do you do it? You, you go. You baptize. In verse 20, he goes on and he says, teaching. So these are things that you do to make disciples. But the core of it, of what Jesus is telling us to do, 
is to make disciples. And he's given he's that commandment, uh, and this is uh, uh, this is this is what we can think of it as. This commandment to do is coming with all authority. And so our fundamental task as a group of believers, as a body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, becomes make disciples. How are we doing at that? How would we rate VCBC at making disciples? Francis Chan has said uh, this. He said, Jesus said, go and make disciples, but so often we just sit and make excuses. It's a pretty harsh words to the church. And we have to evaluate that as he, as Francis Chan challenges us on this and says, Jesus said, go and make disciples, but so often we just sit and make excuses. So, how would we answer that? What reply would we have? Are we doing well in this area? If it's being done, what does disciple making look like? How would you define it? What would VCBC look like if we were really making disciples in, with all the authority that Jesus has given to us? Would it look different than it is right now? And so this is something to think about over the next few weeks as we think about the issue of discipleship. How can it be different? How should it be different? It Should it be different? Should we be doing something, uh, should we be doing something different than we're doing now? But what does disciple-making look like? There isn't a clear, final definition of how to make a disciple. There's lots of resources out there that you can look at. But one of the things uh, that I want us to start with here today is looking a little bit at what was shared in the past, as we shared the pastoral vision back in November of last year as we were talking about discipleship. And uh, Pastor Sam, uh, along with uh, us on the pastoral staff, developed these ideas and expanded a little bit on what it means for discipleship, a disciple-making church. And the first thing uh, that was said was this is to develop a Christian worldview so that disciples are able to discern what is pleasing to God and what is not. So there's one aspect of discipleship. And Romans, Paul in the book of Romans speaks to this. He says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, therefore, another therefore, so you'd have to go back and look, and Paul there in this passage is probably talking about all of Romans uh, chapter 1 through 11. So all of the doctrinal things that he's been talking about in the beginning of the book of Romans from chapter 1 to 11 comes to an end at the beginning of chapter 12, and Paul says, therefore. As a result of everything that he's been talking about so far, this is how we respond. Therefore, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. That idea there of being able to test and approve what God's will is relates back to that idea of discerning God's will. Of being able to discern what is pleasing to God. We do that. We do that, he says, after we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't 
fit into this pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you can discern what God's will is. This is a key part of discipleship, of that transformation that needs to take place in us. The renewing of our mind, the transformation of us into someone who is more like Christ. And then we can attest and approve what God's will is. One of the things to, to also think about is, and to consider in, in the, the statement of developing a Christian worldview is what is a worldview? And a worldview is something that goes to the very core of who we are as a person. It, as, the, as the term it says, itself indicates to us, a worldview is how we view the world. The, the grid, the framework in which we view the world. One definition of worldview is this. A worldview is a mental model of reality. A comprehensive framework of ideas and attitudes about the world, ourselves and life. A system of beliefs. A system of personally customized theories about the world and how it works with answers for a wide range of questions. We all have a worldview. We all have a way of looking at the world through some kind of framework that helps us to organize and understand the world that we live in. We, we have to have that. And if you've ever traveled outside of your, your own culture, outside of our culture here, you've encountered that. We sometimes call that culture shock where you go to another place and you see they view the world differently. They view the world very differently. Might be very, sometimes it might be very different. Sometimes just a little bit different. But they have it because they have a different worldview. And so we see this. We learn, uh, we learn to understand our own worldview as we get exposed to others. But it's, it's something we need to think about. How are we viewing reality? How do we view the world around us? Do we let God shape our worldview? And that's really the important question. Uh, because a true disciple of Jesus will be having their worldview shaped by God. And that comes through a study of Scripture, through God's Word, through time in prayer, spending time with God, and having God speak to us through the Holy Spirit. And our worldview will start to change. We will be transformed. We will allow ourselves to be transformed. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that will uh, take place just instantly and all of a sudden uh, one morning you'll wake up and your worldview will be transformed and all of a sudden you'll see everything through uh, a, a, a scriptural lens. Through the, see, You'll see the world the way God sees it. You'll see uh, you'll have this deep understanding of God. It doesn't happen overnight. Brothers and sisters, it happens over time. As you take the time to read the Scriptures, to study the Word of God, to pray, to listen to God, He continues to transform us. How many of us are, are different people today? Than, and I won't ask for a show of hands really, but how many of us are different people today than we were a year ago? How many of us have changed? In some ways, we've all changed. We've all gotten a little older than we were a, a year ago, for sure. But in different ways, we may have changed. And that's that transformation that we're talking about in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
transformed by the renewing of our mind. If we were at Pursue last night, you heard an interesting testimony from someone. And he was a guy, he was a, a young guy um, who was involved in the rock and roll music scene. And that was his goal, to be a rock and roll star. And he shared that testimony of how being in... And he, he didn't achieve great stardom, but he achieved some level of uh, competency, you might say, and some level of success in that field. But he talked about how being immersed in that, in that uh, cultural uh, group changed him. And it's changed him in a way that he didn't like. And so he left that world. But these, because he saw a change in his worldview. And he said, I don't like the way this is changing. This is not good. This is not helpful. And so he left that. So we come then to, to places of Scripture, of time with God, of listening to God. And we let that instead change our worldview. The second point that was raised in this discipleship, a disciple-making church, was to be proactive in serving God and participating in kingdom work. And in the book of James, our friend James, the brother of Jesus, he says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. He's saying you've got to do something. You've got to be that uh, someone who does something with the words that they know, with the things that they know. He says, do not merely listen to the Word. That's not enough to simply listen. But we have to be doing something. And we shouldn't be waiting for someone to tell us what to do. We shouldn't be waiting to be asked. But knowing our own gifts, knowing our own abilities, and having that heart that says, I need to be using those for the Kingdom of God. Finding out where we can use them. Looking for needs and seeing how we can help to meet those needs here in the church or in the community around us or across the world. Those are important things that we need to do. We need to be active. As I say, it's not enough to be uh, simply knowing these things, but we need to be doing. Now, you could say, well, what does the Word say? And that uh, could be a, a long series of sermons talking about what does the Word say, but the important point here is to be listening to the Word and then to be doing it. This is an idea that moves us into action. So you put that together with Romans 12 and we're transformed. And that transformation, that inward transformation of us results in an outward action. It's not just that we're doing something outwardly, but we're changed inwardly that affects our actions. It comes from the inside the actions that God wants us to do. So it's not just, James isn't just talking about an outward conformance to a set of standards. And that's not discipleship. Discipleship is not getting a bunch of people together and say, you need to do this list of things. And when you do that, then you'll be a disciple of Christ. Because that's all outward stuff. It needs to come from a transformation of our heart. Outward conformance without inward transformation is Phariseeism. It's putting on a face. 
And Jesus said to those Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. You're dead on the inside, but you look alive on the outside. And we don't want to be that at all. That should be the farthest thing from what we want. We want to be filled with a life-giving Spirit and that life-giving Spirit flows out through our words and through our actions. And that's what a real disciple is all about. We strive for that process of inward transformation that changes our outward behavior. The third thing in this idea of discipleship is to promote or encourage mentorship between believers. And so, in a way, it's not all about us, but it's about us helping others. That we help one another. We go and make disciples, and as we engage in that process of making disciples, then we ourselves are changed, are transformed. We ourselves are, are, are affected by that. We ourselves grow in our knowledge of God and grow in our deepen in our relationship with God as we help others to do the same. And Hebrews 10.24-25 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How are we spurring one another on towards loving good deeds? Are we, are we really doing that? Are we encouraging others? Are we helping others to grow? Are we, are, are we allowing ourselves to be spurred? Are we open to that? This can be a, a real difficult thing for us to do. We're happy to get together and talk about the weather, talk about uh, what's going on with the Canucks and the retirement of the Sabines and how that's going to affect their chances next season. We're happy to get together and talk about uh, the different things that are going on in our lives maybe. Uh, but are we going, getting together and are we prepared to spur one another on towards love and good deeds? And are we ready to receive that? And that can be a, a very difficult place to get to. I'm not suggesting that's, that's easy. But that's a, that's a difficult place to get to. So a question there is, are you being mentored? And are you mentoring someone else? And those can be, uh, can be life-changing things. Those can be life-changing events and life-changing kinds of relationships. I have a mentor that I meet with once a month. And he asks me very difficult questions. And some of them sometimes are things like, did you read your Bible this week? Sometimes that can be a very difficult question to answer and to answer it honestly. And so it doesn't need to... I say that because mentoring sounds like something that's maybe really difficult and heavy. But it can be asking simple questions of someone. Are you reading your Bible? Did you spend some time in prayer this week? How are things with your wife, with your children? And so they're hard questions to ask and they're hard to answer honestly. But at the same time, they are somewhat easy questions too. But those sorts of things spur you on to love and good deeds. Just someone asking, how is it going in this certain area? 
And so the question is, are you being mentored? Is, do, you, do we have those kind of mentoring relationships in our lives? And are we prepared to have uh, someone mentor us and then also to mentor others as well? The fourth one is focus on developing people, not just completing a task. Discipleship is not just a, a, an item on our to-do list that we can check it off when we're done and say, okay, we're, we're done that task. It's about investing in people and spending time with them and building relationships with one another. That's what discipleship is about, is that focusing on people. And Paul, as he writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says this about his relationship with them. And this is, this is all about relationship here. And he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the Gospel of God, but our lives as well. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. You see what Paul was saying there. What he was doing, he was, he was relaying to them, uh, re- reminding them of, of his relationship with them. And how he was delighted not just to share the Gospel of God, not just to share the words, but he shared his life with them as well. And what did he do with them? How did he interact with them? Encouraging, comfort them, and urging them to live lives worthy of God. And so Paul didn't just have a a visit the church at Thessalonica on his to-do list and he checked it off and he said, that's done. No, he stayed. He invested in them. He spent time with them. He encouraged, comforted, and urged them and challenged them as well. So these are some of the things we need to think about as we think about discipleship. Are we concerned for the building up of our church? The people, not just the building. The building is part of it. But, uh, uh, but we as the church are the people here. Or is it just something we tick off on our list of things to do? Is it just a, a routine thing that, that happens? but we're not really concerned about the people. Do you wake up at night concerned about someone, a friend here at church, a friend from work, a family member who's going through some tough times and you're moved to pray for them in the middle of the night? Do people come to mind during the day? People that you're concerned about and you can lift them up into prayer. These are simple ways we can be helping one another. But are, do those things happen to you? Do you have that concern for people that is shown in, uh, in, in what happens in your life? So we have these four ideas of discipleship. Four things to consider, uh, to weigh up as we think of ourselves as individuals and think of ourselves as a church, as BCBC, as the body of Christ. We developing, are we developing a Christian worldview so that our disciples are able to discern what is pleasing to God and what is not. To be proactive in serving God. To promote and encourage mentorship. To focus on developing people. These are good things to think about. But a question um, that may come up (coughs) as we think about discipleship, and we start to wonder if there are any disciples out there at all, is what is the difference 
between a believer or a disciple? Is there a difference between a believer or a disciple? This is a great question and a question that's been uh, that gets gets asked often. And yes, I would say there is uh, a difference. James chapter two verse nineteen says, "You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder." Even the demons believe that there is one God. And James here is referring back to uh, an Old Testament idea of there is one God. And this is a truth that stood against all other religions of the day, that there is one God, only one God. All the other religions of the day were, were polytheistic. There were many gods. And, in here, and instead, James is saying there is one God. You believe that there is one God. One God and only one. And he says even the demons believe that. God, Yahweh, Jehovah, was not the supreme God of many smaller gods, but He is the one true and living God. Greater than all else. There might be other powers and authorities in the world and demons and spiritual forces that have uh, some power and some influence, but there is only one God. And this goes back to the very early times of Israel and the Shema Israel of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This goes back thousands of years. Even when James wrote this, he was referring to a statement about God that was thousands of years old. And the answer is, there is only one God. This is what Moses stressed to God's people. The Lord is one. This is what they were to tell their children when they were at home. This is what they were to write on the doorposts over their houses, on their gates, to wear them on their foreheads and on their arms. The Lord, their God, is one. Do you get the idea? This is important. And James says, even this fundamental truth about God that, was, that, that, that God's people have held on to, not just for centuries, but for millennium, Even the demons believe that. But they aren't disciples. They're believers, but not disciples. We can do the same. We can believe, but not be a disciple. The big difference is how it changes our life. This goes back to the idea of worldview. Of our worldview being transformed by the renewing of our mind through Scripture. We can believe something, but it doesn't impact our worldview. It doesn't change the framework in which we see the world. There is a danger here, and there is a danger in every church, that we fill people with information, but we don't change lives. Discipleship is about changing lives. That transformation of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I believe something. I believe lots of things. I believe one thing I believe is that eating well, eating lots of vegetables, keeping your fat intake low, your sugar and salt intake low, getting regular exercise, a proper amount of rest, is a good way to live your life, to be healthy. I believe that. Does it change my life? Maybe a little. Not as much as it should, I suppose. You still go out to A&W and have a root beer and and some fries or onion rings and a burger full of fat and salt and sugar. You get home after that. You sit around. You watch TV, right? 
So I believe something, but it's not really changing my life. Okay? So you try and do it a little bit, but but you like that fat and salt and sugar. And so it impacts your life, sort of. And the same is true of being a disciple of Jesus. We can believe it. We can be, fill our heads with knowledge, but is it really impacting our lives? And that's what discipleship is all about. What do you suppose Jesus wants? Well, in Matthew 28:19, He calls us to be disciples. But what does He want from His disciples? Does He want them to fill their heads full of knowledge? I don't think so. In Matthew 4:19, Jesus, when He's looking for His disciples, He doesn't spend years teaching them. He goes up and He sees them. He sees them out fishing, out in their boats, and He says, Come, follow Me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Their response, at once they left their nets and followed Him. They didn't go through years of teaching and trying to decide whether they were following Him, but Jesus says, drop your nets. Stop what you're doing. Stop fishing for fish. Come, follow Me. Let Me show you something. Learn to trust Me. Learn to trust God. Learn to depend on God. Leave your family. Leave everything you know. Leave your friends. Leave, your, leave the dead. Let the dead bury the dead. Come follow Me. He says, leave your money, your home security. If I send you out, you go with your sandals and a staff and that will be it. Just learn to depend on God. He says, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. You don't have anything. Come, follow Me. This is what it means to be a disciple. Don't worry about tomorrow. Wow, that one's hard. We worry about tomorrow a lot. God will provide. This is discipleship. Following Jesus. This is what He wanted from those that we call, from the twelve that we call His disciples. This is radical. Leave everything you know and come and follow Me. Leave all your systems of security. Leave everything that you know. Leave the work that you know how to do and come and follow Me. He says, how about this? Heal the sick. Changing the physical world around us. Come experience the power of God changing our physical world that we live in. Healing the sick. Casting out demons. Touching, reaching out and impacting that spiritual world that we can't see, but that is also a part of us. Jesus says, this is what you'll do. Knowing when to submit to the powers of authority around us and knowing when to stand up to them. That's part of being a disciple. Raising the dead. A couple disciples raised the dead. Wow. Does this sound radical to you? It sounds pretty radical to me that Jesus is calling us to come and follow Him and engage in these sorts of things. Go and make disciples. Not just believers, but make disciples. The Greek term for disciple in the New Testament is mathetes which means more than just a student or a learner. A disciple is a follower. Someone who follows a didaskalos, a teacher. The, the learner, the disciple, will follow and learn from the teacher and will uh, live their lives in a way that's working towards living like the teacher. It's a bit like being an apprentice where you work for a skilled tradesperson to learn a trade. You watch. You're given a chance to, to do something. And then you're sent out to do it on your own. 
And this is kind of what it means to be a disciple. Of learning, of watching, and doing ourselves. I'm one, one of uh, 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 maybe a strange group of people. I love to watch skilled tradesmen do their job. It's a, I, I like to watch these YouTube videos where you see woodworkers creating something. Uh, a, a marvelous piece of furniture or something. I love to watch the guys who work on lathes, shaving down the, the wood and creating these, these wonderful things. Um, guys who can fix cars, this, just about anything. Uh, I like to watch these things on, on YouTube. When we still had the offices at Victoria Drive, my office looked out over the parking lot uh, across Victoria Drive, and there was a billboard there. And a couple times uh, during uh, the time that, that I had that office, a couple times... I, I was there and I looked out and I, I saw the guy who came to change the billboard sign. And it was, a, it was, it was like a, a, a wonderful symphony. The guy, he, he, he knew exactly what he was doing. There wasn't one wasted motion. He put his ladder up there and it was exactly where it needed to be. He knew where his tools were, where his squeegee, where his brushes were, and he'd just reach in and do his thing and he'd strip the old one off and put the new one up the rolls of the new one were right there at his hand. And it was just a wonder to behold, to watch this guy do this. And it took him about ten minutes. And I just would sit there, and I, I saw him do it a couple times. And I would sit there and go, this is amazing. He is so good at his job. It was really neat. One day, just before we moved out of the Victoria Drive office, he came, the truck pulled up again, and I thought, oh, great, I get to see him do this one more time. He had an apprentice, I guess, with him. Oh, the, <laughs> the poor apprentice. He put the ladder up and I couldn't hear him, but I could see him going, no, not there, put it over there. <laughs> and he, the apprentice would reach around for his tools and you could see the guy saying, no, it's not there, it's over here. And, you could, and, and, and it looked like the guy, the experienced guy, it looked like he was being very patient, uh, trying to explain these things to him. But it was just, it was, it was, to me, it's a, it's a picture of discipleship. There are some who can do this. And we come alongside those who are doing well. And we learn from them. The way that the junior guy was learning from the experienced one. And we might have more experience than someone else. And we can share that with them. But you have to do it together. And so Jesus' followers were called disciples. And they began their discipleship in Matthew 4.19. Come, follow Me. And as they learned, as they went uh, and learned what their teacher wanted, they found that they were able to make that commitment too and follow Him. So are there any, back to the question, are there any disciples out there? Are we making disciples? This is a question that we need to ask. And we need to think about as a church. And we will be thinking about as we think about discipleship this month. Are we delighted, as Paul was, to share the Gospel and our lives as well? Are we open to having people speak into our lives and, uh, and also uh, speaking into others' lives? Are we settling for making believers and not disciples? Are we settling for good or average instead of working for great? These are all questions for us to consider as we think about discipleship for the rest of uh, the month of April. 
And as we do that, as we consider discipleship, as we consider this idea of following Jesus, we come to the Lord's table here this morning. And we're reminded here as we, as we celebrate the Lord's table, as we share these elements of bread and of wine, of that aspect of discipleship, of following Jesus, and of remembering Jesus. Jesus, uh, Jesus gave this. And he, he shared this meal with His disciples. And then it got passed on to Paul. And uh, Paul, as he writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, for what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. There's that element of discipleship, of passing on what he knows and what he's doing. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We are doing that. We're doing. We're proclaiming the Lord's death as we share uh, this cup and this bread here this morning. It's a symbol of the unity that we have in the body of Christ, of coming together as brothers and sisters and remembering Jesus who shed His body, who broke His body was broken for us and shed His blood for us. And so you're welcome to join with us. If you've uh, accepted Jesus as your Savior and have followed Him in the waters of baptism, you're free to join with us as we uh, celebrate, as we remember what Jesus has done for us. If you haven't done that, just let the elements pass by and reflect on uh, Jesus' sacrifice. And as we go and uh, share these elements, I'll ask Deacon Wigwan just to pray.